0: life together, it's our community, it's how we're designed uh, when I say we engage in God's mi- mission, it's our missiology, it's what we're doing and so even when I, when I put this up here when we look at this, we elevate Jesus, we equip believers, we experience life together, we engage in God's mission, that's kind of like the, the simple way of putting it, but it's like here's our doxology our theology, our community, our missiology and I honestly believe this is what we're created for, and so today when I talk about doxology, let me just say this, because I'm not trying to just use big words, here's what I mean what you believe about God must be expressed that's doxology so what you and I, how we perceive God, how we, what we hear in his word, what we read about him, if you've really and if I've really come face to face with God and have experienced God, what I believe about him will be expressed through praise. Now some of us in this room might fear emotion. You're like, I don't like showing emotions. Emotions weird. And we're not trying to be overly emotional, but we say that there's no one who came face to face with God in the Old Testament or New Testament and didn't show emotion. The point's not about being, showing emotion. The point's about expressing it through praise, through song, through worship. And so when I say our doxology, it's, like, it's so much like we, we all have a view of God, but do you express that? Again, if you're married, hopefully it's not just that we are married, we love being married. Hopefully there's emotion. Hopefully there's still dating happening. Hopefully there's still excitement happening. And so for us, we want to be known for not just talking about Jesus, but worshiping Jesus, glorifying Jesus. And here's kind of the, the thing attached to it. This is why we exist. We exist ultimately to bring glory to Jesus, to magnify Jesus. You know, people ask, like, why do you do this? Why do people even go to church? Why does that still exist today in America or in South Florida? Why do people still do this? Because Jesus created this, he made this, he designed this, and this is ultimately, whether it's individually and and collectively, we want to magnify and glorify Jesus. This is why we exist. You know, it's been said this way, I wrote this down, I love the way someone wrote this. They said, humanity is healed in the worship of God. And listen to that, humanity is healed in the worship of God. As we get back to what we are created for, we find healing and restoration in that. And so we want to get back to worship. You could be the most successful person and have everything you need, and if you don't live your life in a way to bring glory to God, you'll be the most empty, living the most unsatisfied life. Even though you might have it all, you're not created for that. And so for us, when I say us, our community, here's our desire again. Simply put, we want to be all about Jesus. We're created by Jesus and for Jesus. Colossians 1.16 says, For by Jesus all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And so this is why we exist. That Jesus is the head and we're here for him ultimately. Amen? So we're going to pray. We're going to read a text in a second, but we're going to pray. And I just want to say, like, from, from the first time, in a sense, we, we gather here at the school, we want to be known for just being known for Jesus. Jesus at the center of everything. That we don't want to do this without him. We need him to lead us and guide us in every step of the way. This is our doxology. This is our expression of our theology. This is what we believe about God expressed. So that we're going to do that. That's why we worship. That's why we sing. That's why we gather together in groups. Because we ultimately want to live it out. Not just know it, but live it out. Amen? So let's just pray, and then we'll uh, look at this text in a second and go more in depth. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much again for this time. Just to worship, to sing, to remember you. God, I know that we might have had a long week. It's it's just December. God, refresh people in this room. God, we want to sit at your feet today and just enjoy you. Remind us, God, why we're created. Remind us why we're here. Remind us why we do this thing called church. And, Lord, if we need to remove just certain church idols, (laughs) remove that, God. We just want our attention to be on you now. We ask that you just be here and that you'd speak in your wonderful name. Amen. You know, one of my favorite things about traveling, besides just eating food... And let's be honest, that's why we travel, people, right? I mean, we go to Greece because we want, like, I want a gyro there in Greece. Like, that's why we travel. But one of my favorite things besides eating when we travel is just I love buildings, design, architecture. I, I personally, and probably all of us do maybe, maybe not, but I have a bent towards Europe. Like, who doesn't? But we love, we love the, the building, the architecture, the structures. I mean, some of my favorite places, you know, on earth that I've seen or built hundreds of years ago. For me my wife, the, the, one of the most beautiful churches I've ever been to was in Florence, Italy, and it was the Duomo. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that or seen that, but just the colors, the details—we'll try to throw it up if we can. The colors, the details—you walk in and it's just breathtaking. You walk up and you see this, and you're like, someone built this, someone painted this, someone designed this. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, another favorite spot for us of just architecture design. Uh, we went to Edim- Edinburgh, I don't know how to say it Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Scotland. I, I know, I'm sorry, guys. The gods, forgive me. Uh, we went to Edinburgh, Scotland. And you just see this rustic, ca- you feel like you're stepping back in time. And the arc, it's just so fun walking around the, these places, seeing almost like Prism Jail, I've just seeing the areas. It's, it's just gorgeous. Probably the most breathtaking thing though, I think I've seen, my favorite spot ever, maybe just on earth, is in France, and it's called Mont-Saint-Michel. And if you (laughs) see this in the distance, literally everyone on the bus just gasped. I mean, this place looks like Lord of the Rings, like built it, right? It's gorgeous. Like everyone on the bus is like, no way, this is real. Absolutely gorgeous. And so when you see these places, for me, I love this because ultimately this reflects the architect. All the beauty, all the design, you look on and go, someone had a dream and built this and made this and designed this and executed this. And you kind of go, wow, this came from someone's creativity. It reflects the beauty or really the wisdom of the creator. And just like these architects or these builders, we have a God who's this crazy Brilliant creative architect who designed people and animals and oceans and mountains and galaxies. And I love to think what God designed and built and created. You know, sometimes, because I remember in 8th grade I took the science class and it was just like super impactful, whatever. Uh, but I remember we we'd always show pictures of the Hubble telescope. And recently I was just researching this trying to find some stuff and it showed the Antennae or Antennae galaxy. I mean in the colors and the gases and just the brilliance of this. And you go, wow, God spoke this into existence. That Jesus literally spoke this into existence. My favorite one or image is probably called the Cartwheel Galaxy. I mean, these colors are absolutely heavenly, if you want to go with that, that one. It's absolutely heavenly. The purples and blues and yellows, I mean, it is breathtaking. Do you have that one, the Cartwheel Galaxy? No, we don't. It's okay. There we go. It's like jellyfish in, in heaven. I just love this. It's absolutely gorgeous, and I think that God just spoke this and designed this, and he created black holes and nebulas, and like, why? I don't know, just to declare his glory because he can do it. It's just absolutely incredible to me, and here's the thing I want to point out. The reason why I'm showing you this, the reason why I'm talking about this, is the one who designed the heavens is the one who designed and built something called the church. The one with great beauty and brilliance took time and built something called the church. See, the church for us is supposed to be this beautiful artwork of God. The church for us is supposed to be like the heavens in that sense where God designed it and built it intentionally and beautifully. And it's funny because today we go, why do we need the church? The church is just messed up. Is it just messed up people gathering together? And it's like, yes, yes it is. I mean, the point is, you know, and we've seen this, whether it's pastors cheating or people coming and, and in a sense manipulating, gossiping, backbiting, hurting, and we are a dysfunctional family. And the point I wanna say is welcome, like welcome to the family. We are gonna be dysfunctional and we are gonna mess up and we're gonna make mistakes but that's why we need Jesus. And that's why we're not here to promote us, we're here to promote Jesus. Because we're here to say we are built by him and for him. He is the great architect of this. See, the church is something that even though, and it's true, if you look at church history, if you look at the local church, has made so many stakes. But the church has done so many beautiful things. I mean, more hospitals have been built, more orphanages, more foster care systems, more more needs for the homeless being met, more beautiful things have been done for the the church, through, through the church, I suggest, than anything else. That at the same time families have been restored, those who've been on that verge of suicide, those who are lonely and depressed and isolated, I uh, say so the church has come in at that right time and brought them to Jesus and brought restoration and healing. You see, I love the church. Jesus loves the church. He designed and built the church. And so when we're talking about the church today, sometimes we have a bad taste in our mouth. But yet God says, "This is my bride." God looks at us gathered together and says, "This is my bride." And I know that I can be guilty. We can be guilty of speaking poorly of the church, but that's speaking poorly of his bride, right? No one here is going to say, if anyone speaks poorly of my bride, it's like, you're not coming here, right? Like the point's like, no one can, you can't do that. You can't speak poorly of someone's bride. And God goes, this is my bride and I love it. It's messed up, it's dysfunctional, but I love it, I came for it. And so we want to, here's our heart. Our heart is to we? How do we do our best to live by the word and be the church in 2017, yet design and apply the principles that we see from 2,000 years ago? How do we actually do this as best we can through God's word? And so I want to look at how Jesus established the church. The first time we even see the idea of the church being mentioned in the New Testament is here in Matthew 16. So let's read Matthew chapter 16. Look at verse 13. It says, when Jesus, Matthew 16 verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar, or son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All right. I um, want to kind of catch you up. So Caesarea Philippi, my wife and I had the privilege of going back there in like 2010 with Chuck Smith and Calvary Costa Mace, and We got to go and it's it's, beautiful. It's gorgeous. I mean, in the mountains, there's actually carved images of like like, statues and things to pagan gods. So Caesarea Philippi was known for just an area of pagan worship. A lot of different deities were there. A lot of different gods were worshiped there. I mean, you can still see that today, 2,000 years later, how they worship other gods there. So Jesus is in this very pagan, multi-deities kind of place and says, hey, who do men say that I am? And they're like, well, some think that you're one of the prophets that was fore- foretold. Do you know what I mean and they're like naming all these things because, no, 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 but who do you say that I am? And Peter, a guy who blows it so often, and yet here he gets it right, and I love Peter for this. He just speaks, and maybe he gets it right, maybe not, and that's probably like us. But he goes, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he goes, yes, my Father has revealed that to you, Peter. You know, and he goes, and on this rock, I will build my church. And I want to point a few things out to you. This word church is the first time actually, it's in Matthew 16. This is the first time we see this mentioned in the New Testament. This word church is mentioned, I believe, 114 times. This is the first time it's mentioned. And now whenever a word or a new concept is mentioned, we should pay attention. Just Let me just give a little hint. Whenever you see the, the first time the word love is mentioned is about a father's love for his son, Abraham and Isaac that's important for us. like So whenever you see that, it's called the principle of first mention. Whenever you see a new idea being shared in scriptures, we should kind of pay attention a little more. So 114 times this word church is mentioned. 90 times it's used speaking about a local church, a local gathering, a gathering of people together. So we are the church. We are a little c church. There is the big capital C church, and there's a little c church, and that's us. But this idea of this church, this word, is, it simply just means it's ecclesia. So when I said this is our ecclesiology, it's like this is the study of the church. This is how we want to do church. The idea of this ecclesia, and we'll just throw up here, it just means a called-out assembly. That literally God has says you are once a part of something else, but now you're part of my family. And the beautiful thing about the church is, hey Jews, hey Greeks, hey pagans, everyone, you're part of something different now. You're part of my family. You're part of the church. So whatever your cultural background, whatever your race is, whatever your gender, you are brought into this family. You are now my, you're my assembly. You're my group of people. And I want to point this out. He says, on this rock, I will build what? He says, my church. All right, let me just make this really clear. This is not my church. This is not our church. This is Jesus' church. We come here because we go, he's the chief shepherd. We're thankful for people that he's placed in our lives, help raise up leaders, raise up elders, but this is Jesus' church. And we are here because of him and for him and he says, I will build, and I want to put, God builds this. God does this. Our prayer, honestly, since day one is, God, please, you build this house so we don't labor in vain. Like, you build this community so we're not just wasting our time here. Like, you need to stir hearts. You need to gather together, together people. Like, in our own efforts, we can't do that. We can try, but we can't do what you can do. He says, I will build, and so that comes through prayer. That comes through seeking him through the Spirit, through the word, that comes from just living, like that comes from us doing what he says to do, but he's building this church. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church. And so that is our hope today. We come here because we go, Jesus, we want this to be your church. This is created by you and for you. So, just to review. We are built, we are knit together because of Jesus and for Jesus. And if you could, if you would write these verses down, here's the whole point. Jesus is the head of the church. And so a couple of verses I'll read to you guys really quick if you want. We'll throw it up here. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 12, and here's what it says in this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, Now you, you and me, are Christ's body and individual members of it. Colossians 1, he is also the head of the body, the church. To be really clear, so we, many members, many individuals, make up the body of Christ. Jesus is the clear head of the church. He's the head of it. So let me be really clear about something, because sadly today in America, or different countries even, the church can become two things. It can become a building, and it can, it can become a business. So let's speak into these really quick. It can become a building, where you just go, I'm going to church. Did you like church? And we kind of ask questions that communicate this idea of some place we go to or something like we do once in a while, once a week. And the problem with that is if church is a building, then we are consumers. See, the church is just a building you come to. It's like, well, what? I didn't get anything out of church today. And it's kind of like, what did church do for me and you have that mindset. It's not what did I actively give and how was I a part of the church? But it's like, I didn't like I didn't like church today. It's like, well, that's weird you didn't like yourself today. Like you're the church. Like, so we have this mindset sometimes of like, no, it's not about this idea of a building. And then the other side of this is that this can be a business. There's a side of it too, where we're a business and there's a church on the street, and there's this church, and we're competing against each other. And see, that's a problem too. It's not a building, it's not a business, it's a body. And that's what God's saying here. He says, this is the body of Christ. This is my body. I am the head and this is the body, and I wanna say this, because you can either become a consumer then, or become a competitor, when in reality, we're community of faith, and that's the whole point of this, we're not just here to consume, what can you do, I'm gonna take and leave, we're not here to compete, we're gonna be community of faith, building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, he is the head, and he is the foundation, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter three, verse eleven. We'll throw it up here again. It just says simply this: for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. You see, the, the, the bedrock of the church is Jesus. The center of the church is Jesus. We are here because of Jesus and for Jesus, and it's built upon Jesus. Because that's why we're going to talk. We're going to say we're going to talk in this way. We're not here just to like kind of have fun and like throw out an event and like leave. We're saying, Jesus, we're here for you, because of you, by you. We want to be a church that pursues him, loves him, seeks him, points people back to him. When our life isn't reflecting him, we'll be gracious and loving and kind, but point us back to Jesus. So that means there might be conflict sometimes in a good way, where it's like, hey, here's the word of God, and how do we get more like Jesus? Like That is something we want to pursue. Jesus, No one's ever encountered Jesus, and their life has stayed the same, right? When you encounter Jesus, he's like, there's people who go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've kept all of my commandments from my youth. Think he you still like, one thing go solve that you have. And say, like, I can't do it. You know, every time people come to Jesus, there's some sort of challenge. And so we're here to say, listen, we want to point you to Jesus. We believe Jesus is loving. We believe he's gracious. We believe he'll take your burden and your yoke. But we also believe that you'll come face to face with the m- mighty God and that your life's going to be completely and radically changed. And so we are here for Jesus and by Jesus. This is all about Jesus. That's why we're doing this. When I say we elevate, this is not just trying to be like, oh, it's cool and memorable. Like, we really want to be a church that is about Jesus. Amen? And so let me just say this. The story of the Bible is Jesus. The whole point of the Bible is Jesus. I mean, from beginning to end. I remember when I first started reading the Bible, and you go, this is so overwhelming. I guess I'll start in Genesis and then make my way to Leviticus and give up. Like, what do we do with this? And it gets so difficult. You know, and, but if we can just point this out. And just like, look at this. You have the Bible, yes, 66 books written over a span of 1,600 years by three, on three different continents and three different languages by over 40 different authors on topics such as poetry and history and psychology and philosophy. And yet there's this one central theme. Despite many authors, many generations, many areas of the world, the central theme is Jesus. And the point is Jesus. And that's why we're saying, let's slow down and not just get overwhelmed by this. But how do we look and say the Old Testament pointed to Jesus, the New Testament is founded on Jesus, everything is about Jesus and what we're trying to do here. You know, Jesus said it this way, and this is one of my favorite concepts, and we're going to look at this just for a moment, and it's worth spending time on. Because next week we're going to talk about his word, and this will change how you read the Bible. But Jesus said it in John five thirty nine, he says, you search the scriptures, and in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. And I want you to write this down. This to me is the key that unlocks all of understanding in the Bible. It really is the key to understand. I think the whole Genesis to Revelation is the the whole key. Jesus is speaking to Pharisees. Jesus is speaking to religious people. Like you might not, you and I might think like we have it together, but these were guys who probably memorized, if not all, most of the Old Testament. Memorized. I mean, these were brilliant guys. Only 3,000 Pharisees could exist at one time. I mean, they were the, the lawyers of lawyers. I mean, they knew the Word of God better than anyone. And Jesus says to them, hey, You read the scriptures, you think you have eternal life because you read, but you're missing the point. It speaks of me, it testifies of me, it's all about me. See, the way we read the Bible has to change. It's not so much these many stories that have nothing to do with each other, it is one story pointing to Jesus. And that is from beginning to end, and the point of this is this, religious people can still miss Jesus. People who grew up in the church can still go to church and miss Jesus. The point is, you and I can go to church and not be the church. That you and I can be around church things and church things happening, but still miss it. He's saying this, again, to the elite religious people of their day. You miss the point. He said it another way, uh, too, in John 5, 46. He says, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. All right, time and time again, and if you guys want to write this down or just search this out yourself, Jesus used the Old Testament to speak of him. You know, in Mark 14, he's quoting from Daniel 9. He says, you know the one sitting at the right hand of power? That's me. You know, in Matthew chapter 12, he's speaking about Jonah. He says, "Hey, remember Jonah? Just like Jonah was 3 days and 3 nights in the belly of the whale, so will I this son of man be 3 days and 3 nights in the belly of the earth." They're like, "What do you mean?" Like they still didn't get it. He goes, "Jonah, this idea of 3 nights and 3 th- 3 days in the belly of the whale, I'm going to die. I'm going to be presumed dead. I'm going to be gone 3 days and 3 nights. Just like Jonah came out of the whale, I will come out of the grave." Like Jesus said everything you and I read in the Old Testament, it's ultimately speaking of him. Again, John 5:46, he goes, "Moses wrote about me." The point of this is to get our focus and attention back on Jesus. You know, one of my favorite interactions people had with Jesus was in Luke 24. If you guys remember in Luke 24, uh, there's two men. They're very depressed. Luke 24, listen up. Two men depressed. It's resurrection day. Jesus just rose again from the grave. They They don't know that. They're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they're talking about Jesus. And as they're talking about Jesus, Jesus shows up and starts talking to them. And it says they did not know it was him because their eyes were restrained. So Jesus asked them, why do you look so sad? And I love this. They go, are, you're not from around here, are you? Like, do you not know that Jesus, the one everyone knows about, was killed, was murdered, was crucified three days ago. And today, there are people who say he's not in the grave. And so they think maybe someone stole his body. They're like, we're, they're sad. They're not rejoicing, they're sad. And I absolutely love Jesus' response. Listen to this. It's in Luke 24, verse 25 then jesus said to them "O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken ought not the christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and listen to this beginning at moses and all the prophets he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself and i would kill for this bible study right jesus is giving a bible study about jesus and they're talking to jesus they don't know it's jesus I, I, lo- like, I love this too. They're just talking about Jesus sad. And in the midst of talking about Jesus, Jesus shows up. And I'll just say this, it's true. Sometimes when we just get together and nonchalantly talk about Jesus, you go, wow, Jesus showed up there. Like there's something about that. When you're just Jesus as a part of your conversation in your daily life, you go, wow, Jesus really showed up in this way. And I love this. They're sad of heart. They're sad of heart. And what does Jesus do to cure their sadness? He opens up the word. And I would say this. There's no secret sauce to this. If we want to cure for our heart, for the sadness of our heart, open up the word. Read about Jesus. Get to know Jesus. So he opens up the word, and he starts with Moses and all the prophets and says, this is how it speaks. He goes, don't you know that the Messiah must suffer, then it be, have glory? And if you read the Old Testament, and still today, if you talk to any good, just Orthodox Jew, they think that the Christ would only come to rule and reign, and they miss the point that he must suffer first. And we see that before glory, there's always suffering. Peter's book, First and Second Peter, is all about that. That before there's any glory in life, there must be suffering. And that is the point of the Messiah, that before we see him ruling sea to sea, we see him carrying the nails, carrying the cross. And Jesus opens up the scripture and goes, you guys missed it. Don't you know that the Messiah is going to suffer and enter into glory? And I can't imagine. They're having this conversation with Jesus. They're getting built up in their faith. And I love what it says at the end. It's Matthew 24, verse 44. It says this. In a second, I promise. It's really good. It's so good. It's just going to blow your mind. I'll just read it to you in a second. All right. Matthew 24, verse 44. Here's what it says. It says that all, Jesus said this, all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. I want you to hear this. He starts with Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. Again, this is a seven-mile walk they had, mind you. And I don't, by side note, because I just think this is interesting, Jesus rose again from the grave, and who are these two guys that get to spend time with Jesus? Like, why do they get this? Like, who are they? One guy's name's Cleopas. We don't know the other guy's name. Like, the end. I'm kind of mad at Cleopas for not writing a book of the Bible. Like, hey, can you tell us all about that? Um, But Jesus found time to spend with two random guys on the day he resurrected. And these guys actually go on their seven-mile walk and come running back to Jerusalem going, do you guys know we just spent time with Jesus? It's once they broke bread, it says their eyes were opened. And he, Jesus vanished from them. And so they go back to Jerusalem another seven miles. All right. But I, I love this thought. He starts from the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. Now, let me just kind of give you something really quick because I wish today I could be like, let me show you where Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament. I just, There's no way. And some of you just leave and walk out. But let me just kind of give you five things to show. Uh, I kind of wrote the five Ps of seeing Jesus in scriptures. Here's where we see him. We see Jesus in the Pentateuch, Penta, five, in the first five books of the Bible. That's Moses. We believe Moses wrote that. So Jesus is seen from Genesis through Deuteronomy. We see him in the Psalms. Psalm 2, Psalm 8, Psalm 16, Psalm 22. I could, we could keep going on and on. Just messianic Psalms. Uh, we see him in the prophets. Let me just point out something really quick. A prophet was an ambassador of God to people. A priest was an ambassador of people to God. And I want you to say that Jesus was both. And hear that again. A prophet was an ambassador of God to people. An ambassador of God to people. Hey, God has a word for you. I'm an ambassador of God to people. A priest was hey, I'm representing the people to God. Hey, God, they've sinned. (laughs) Like, Jesus was both. And you read the prophets, you read about Samuel, you read about any of the prophets, any of the priests, ultimately speaking of Jesus. Uh, So the priesthood would be next. And then pictures. And pictures meaning there's so many different symbols or, or language, like the idea of a sacrifice, that Jesus is that Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. I mean, there's so, there, the idea of the veil in the temple we talked about a couple weeks ago, there's so many different symbols and pictures of things that ultimately, even the New Testament says this speaks or refers to Jesus. Here's the point. Some people say, I don't read the Old Testament because I want to read about Jesus in the New Testament. I'm like, if you want to read about Jesus, read the Old Testament. Like, the way to understand the Old Testament is Jesus and the way to understand Jesus is the Old Testament. <laughs> that was a good one. Both are necessary. If you wanna know the Old Testament, you must know Jesus. The Old Testament will not make sense without through the lens of Jesus, it just won't. There's something missed, Jesus said that, you search. That word search, by the way, in John five thirty nine, it means to track the scent. Like a bloodhound would track the scent. We used to have a little beagle, um, great dog for like a, a couple of years, we um, used to have a beagle. And our, it's funny, we take him for a walk and he, there's ducks everywhere and squirrels everywhere. And it's weird, once in a while, he would smell something. Like, and this wasn't all the time, maybe a handful of times. He would smell something and his body would just get super stiff and he'd freak out and just like, you know, he's on the scent of something. He'd always sniff, but his body would just like tighten up and he'd just be on the scent and there's nothing we could do to stop him. Search the scriptures means that. To track the scent. To be obsessed with, I need to find Jesus here. I want to find Jesus in the Old Testament. You search the scriptures, you think you have life, but these are really speaking of me, Jesus said. And so I, I wonder, I wonder. I want you to think about Luke 24. I wonder when Jesus hears these guys being sad, and he's like, he's like, "Don't you get it? He was going to suffer and enter in glory." I wonder what Jesus did. I wonder if he took him to Genesis 3 and said, "Hey, remember the promise of the Messiah coming through the woman's seed? It's the virgin birth." I, I wonder if he took him to Leviticus and started talking about the peace offering and sin offering and wave offering, and looking at the different sacrifices and seeing see these different offerings. See these different offerings. It speaks ultimately to the Messiah who would suffer. I wonder if he took him to Psalm 22 where David in detail explains and lays out the crucifixion years before crucifixion was even invented. I wonder if he took him to Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, that he'd be rejected by his own people and by his stripes we are healed. I wonder if he took him to Daniel 9, where it literally, if you want to get into this, and it's fun to do in Daniel 9, to the exact day that Jesus would come into Jerusalem and be cut off for his people, to the exact day. Unbelievable prophecy in Daniel 9. I wonder if he took him to Zechariah 9, where he said, hey, don't you remember the the Messiah wasn't coming entering on a donkey? You know, again, like, I don't think that makes sense in 2017. My point is, Jesus was showing them from beginning to end how it speaks of him and how it it shows of him. And I just wish these guys would have wrote it down, those jerks. But it must have been so good. It must have been so good to hear from that. And their heart was built up, and they go, man, it's Jesus. See, here's the thing. The story of the Bible is Jesus. Again, the story of the Bible is Jesus. Because this can be an overwhelming thing. You know, I even hate to say the word story. You know, I think a better word that we'll use sometimes is narrative, right? Again, let's just think about this. How many stories, how many narratives, side stories, side narratives are in this book? I mean, think about all these different narratives. And here's what the Bible really does say, according to Jesus, that ultimately all those narratives, all those stories are speaking to one ultimate narrative, one ultimate story, and that is Jesus. We would call that in in theology, we'd call that the meta-narrative, the grand narrative, the ultimate narrative. That all these stories are ultimately speaking of one story. It's all pointing to Jesus. And I love this thought of this idea of narratives, because we love stories, right? Like we, especially as Americans, we love stories. We spend hundreds of millions of dollars a a year to write stories, to make stories, to watch stories. You know, like we spend big money to put it on on big screens just to see stories being written down and captured. And I want to point this out. Every story is saying something. Every story is telling you something. There is not a story being written or made that is not trying to communicate some worldview or some truth. Everyone believes a story and everyone has a worldview based off that story. So people will tell a compelling story. People will show something, and they're really trying to show you another story. They're really trying to say something behind that. And let me just say this. A lot of us here, we all have different stories. And a lot of us growing up have heard different stories. A lot of us have heard false stories or false narratives about our life. Some of you have grown up with this narrative or this story that if you want to be successful, you must make this much money. Some of you have grown up with a story or narrative that you are not smart enough you're not able enough, you're not thin enough, you're not whatever. We've all heard different stories that we believe about our life. And the whole point of the Bible is saying, no, there's one true story that defines all stories. There's one true story that we need to actually believe in again. There's one true story that we might tell ourselves about I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not wise, I'm not whatever. The Bible is saying, no, I have a story that will redeem all stories. I have a story that will point you to to your true identity, your true maker. See, we have the story of stories. The whole point of the mission of the church is to tell God's story. Isn't the point, isn't that why we exist? We exist to tell the story of God. To say, do you want your story redeemed? There's a better story. There's a better narrative out there. There's a better story out there that you and I can believe and that it will change our lives ultimately. And that is the story of God through Jesus. And we want people to hear this story. We want people to know this story. That's why we spend money to tell the story and do things to tell us because we believe this is the story of all stories. We believe that this narrative will change all narratives. Everyone's direction, everyone's life. Amen? We want people to know the story of God and to know the story of Jesus. It's a wonderful, beautiful story that we get to be a part of. And let me say this, if you and I were to sit down and I were to hear your story and you were to hear my story, so many different stories, but all of our stories, and this is what we do, and I think this is where the church can fail. We go, how does God fit into my story? And that is backwards thinking. It's how do I fit into God's story? God is writing an ultimate story, and we want to join him in that story writing. We want to say, hey, we know that earth and life is moving in a certain direction. How do I join God on this story? Not how does God join me in my story to get what I want. Make sense? So how do we join God in his story? So there's two parts really quick. I want to point out to you guys and just think about two things really quick about this idea of, of story. First thing is this. Uh, God's story through Jesus and our story about Jesus. So God's story through Jesus and then we, our story about Jesus. All right, so let's just think about this. God's story through Jesus. If you read the Bible, this great story, maybe you've heard this before, but it's worth going over. It's worth knowing this. Basic people, the most basic elements of the Bible, the most basic things we can boil it down to is there's four acts to the story. There's four parts to the story. And maybe you've heard this, but there's four acts to the story of the Bible. There's creation, there's the fall, there's redemption, and there will be restoration. And there's four parts to the story of God being written about Jesus. And, And let's just look at these really quick. Because this is the story of the Bible in summary. And again, we could spend time with Moses and the prophets like Jesus did, but the story of the Bible is creation, the fall, redemption, restoration. So creation. It's Genesis 1, in the beginning God created. And I want to say this, that answers so many life questions right there. Where did I come from? Do I have value? Why do I have value? Why do we think people deserve value? I want you to think about this. Every effect has a cause. What is the ultimate cause? Was it lightning striking gases, okay, but what, okay, is that, is that eternal? What was before that? Well, multi-universe theory, we can go back and back. Okay, but what was the ultimate beginning? Like, science would agree that matter has a beginning date. And how? Matter does not just come into existence. There had to be something outside of matter to start this and create matter. So in the beginning, God. And it answers the question of what is the beginning of man? And, and how do we start? How do, And so, in the beginning, God created, and we're told also in that same chapter that we, you, and I are made in the image of God. So it answers our beginning point. It answers this idea of value that you and I—I think—we have the best answer for why do, do people have intrinsic value? How do you answer this if you don't believe that? Like, I just think you should value people, but why? You might think that, but do you, how do you know that? Can you prove that? Can you show that? I would say this: that you and I, male and female, race, whatever race you might be, you and I are made in the image of God. That speaks of equality in such a beautiful way that I'm an image bearer of God, you're an image bearer of God. That, that, that life matters, that life is extremely valuable, that we should fight for life and for lives because those are little image bearers of God. And so this idea of creation, it speaks of where did this all begin, how did it begin? Matter doesn't just come into existence. Matter does not create itself. There has to be something outside of matter to create it and it gives us value. You see, we, we are guilty of saying, wow, you do so much for me, I give you value. That's ascribed value. Intrinsic value is you can never do a thing for me. You already have value because you're an image bearer of God. You and I already have it because we're image bearers of God. So it starts off with creation and right away we blow it, right? Right away we reject God. It doesn't take us very long and I just think that's so true if you're like, study us. And that was what we call the fall. The fall is where man rejected God's will. The Fall explains why there's so much evil and pain and suffering. Why is there rape and murder and disease and cancer? And Is this fair? Why does this make sense to me? This isn't fair. This isn't right. And something within us goes, is there ever going to be justice for someone like Hitler who just kills six million people and takes his own life in the end? And, and really, the fall kind of explains the idea of pain and suffering and evil. For me, and w- I wish we could even spend more time. There's a book called Glorious Ruin if you get a chance to maybe spend some time on evil or suffering or pain. But there's, there's so many things like that that can help. For me, the Christian worldview, it answers the question of evil and suffering and pain better than any other worldview. So that's why you can explain why there's evil, why there's pain, why there's suffering. But we, we see that. You know, there's a... In London, years and years ago, uh, a newspaper wrote this inquiry, and they, they asked this, They asked different people throughout London, "Why? Uh, what's the problem with the world? That was their topic. What's the problem with the world? And they sent it to a famous known Christian believer, his name was G.K. Chesterton. And I have a book in my backpack right now by him called Orthodoxy, and if you get a chance to read that, but you probably won't. But it's really good. Anyways, um, they, asked, they wrote it to him and said, hey, wh- why is there so much evil in the world? Wh- wh- what's, what's the main problem with the world? And you can see this, but he, he wrote simply back, Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely, GK. <laughs> if, we could, if we could honestly believe that, the problem is not out there, it's in here. That it affects all of us. That's like those bad people over there that know we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has turned to his own way. Everyone's turned against God at some point in time. Every one of us has says, God, I don't want you, I don't need you, I can do this on my own. And sin affects and plagues all of us. But then this story has this epic uh, climax called Redemption. And redemption is the day that God entered the story himself, and we're going to talk about that on Christmas Eve, but God's like, let me change. I'm, I created this, I started this, I'm now going to enter into this. And the story of redemption explains so many of these things that we go, their pain and suffering will ever be right. Here's what I love. God told it right away to Abraham. He says, Abraham, through your seed, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Basically saying, Abraham, through you is gonna come the Messiah, the one to save the world. Abraham and Isaac, Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. These became known as the 12 tribes of Israel. One of the 12 tribes was Judah. God says, hey, through Judah is gonna come the Messiah. Through Judah came Jesus, the redemption, the one that we are looking for. So when you read like, what is the point of Genesis and Exodus? It's pointing to this ultimate climax of the coming of the Savior of the world, and that is Jesus. And that is the redemption of mankind. That Jesus came, lived a sinless life. He died an innocent death on the cross, taking our place. And He took the sin of the world on Himself. And He died. And He rose again three days later. And people from this day saw that and heard that. And that's why the church went from 15,000 to 150 million within 200 years. Because that truth changed the world as we know it. That they saw the resurrected Jesus. That mankind knows that God loves us so much, He would give His best. And this is the story of redemption. But then, here's the problem. But we still wake up and it's Monday morning. And we still go, this is so hard! And we just go, how does this get fixed? And it must ever be fixed and life is still so tough. And this is the story of restoration. That right now, we're in this part of human history. We're entering from redemption to restoration. We're saying that Jesus will come back. That Jesus will make all things new. People question his, his first coming. We're still questioning his second coming, sadly. But Jesus will come back. He'll make all things new. And this is one of my favorite texts. And I can't, I don't like ever like, quoting Revelation just without saying, like, read all of Revelation. I think it's powerful. But Revelation 21, verse 4. Just read this, the story of restoration. Revelation 21, verse 4. It says, The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God. That's not right. I'm going to start with mine. Okay. Uh, it starts with this. Revelation 21, verse 4. You can just turn there and read there, but I should do that more often. Uh, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, listen to this, the one seated on the throne, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns, which is the second death. The story of restoration is this, ultimately, that Jesus in John chapter 5 is the true judge who will judge the living and the dead. That there will be those who will be separated from God forever, and they'll be those who be brought into the kingdom of God forever. And you say, but how could a loving God ever send someone to hell? How could a loving God ever do this? And again, I just think this is the most, under, you got to understand this, that God made it so difficult for people to end up in hell. That God says, if you're going to end up in hell, you're going to have to step over the dead body of my son. So if you don't want to be with me, you're going to have to step over the dead body of my son to be there. The point is, we are all looking for this point in time where there will be no more crying and pain, and cancer will not have the last word, and rape will not have the last word and all these injustices and the human trafficking will not have the last word but he'll wipe away every tear but he'll rule and reign forever and here's the point of the church we exist in a sense to bring that in to say jesus come we're praying for your will to be done here as it is in heaven we're asking i love when the bible the way the bible ends is jesus says i will come quickly and john goes can you make it faster he goes even so lord come quickly like that's just all i goes. that's what my heart craves is that your kingdom would come and so for us as the church we're not just to wait for that we go, okay, who hope he comes. Our point and our goal is to say, how do we bring people into this? How do we say there are people out there that need this? There are people out there that one day, you and I, everyone will individually stand before God and be brought and ushered into his kingdom or away from him. And we want people to know that he made it free. It's accessible to everyone and anyone. You don't have to do, climb Mount Everest or do five religious things. You believe in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. And it's unbelievable to know that's how freeing it is. That, you know, I receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Through just saying, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you took my place, you died for my sin, and you rose again. And so that we're looking for the day where Jesus does rule and reign. Where Zechariah 14 says, he comes back and steps foot on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives is split in half, a river runs through it, and that's where he'll rule and reign for a thousand years. And then we usher in the new heaven and new earth, and read Revelation 21 and 22, and see how the Bible describes this. This is what we are looking for. Where the wolf does lie down with the lamb where the child does play with the serpent, uh, whatever that means, where their ideas of perfect peace and unity on earth. That is what our hearts long for. That is what we are praying for. That's why we are here. Again, this cannot just be some place where you go, come, hear a message, and like, be tickled and leave. Like, it's like, no, how do we raise up an army? How do we raise up a group of people that want to go out and make disciples that say this will be uncomfortable, this will be hard, this might be frustrating, this might be a lot of tears, but it is so worth it that we have a Savior who will wipe away the tears and say, good job, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That is what we long to hear for everyone. Anyone who breathes, I long for them to hear those words. And they can by the blood of Jesus Christ and by their belief in him. And that's why we do this. And that's why we say, hey, we elevate Jesus. Not to just be like, because we just know it's because of him and by him we're saved. There's no other name. That the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That, that's why we say it's the name of Jesus. That God even says, I esteem my name is that God esteems his word higher than his name. There's something about the word of God being preached and communicated that people need to hear his word and hear his name so they can be saved. That's what what our hearts long for. And so here's what I wanted to share with you briefly for us, because it's God's story through Jesus and our story about Jesus. And so I'll say this, that's why we're doing this, That's why we're planting this church. That's why we're saying, hey, do you want to be involved? Hey, do you want to be a part of this? Hey, do you want to help us reach people? Can you help lead a group? Can you help with worship? Can you help with kids? Because we want people to come in and hear the gospel in a way where they go, that's it. That's truth. That is the narrative of all narratives. That is a story I've been longing to hear. That is the one grand story that everyone needs to hear and believe and trust in and receive and walk in. And so that's why we do this. And so for us, we're, we're trying to clarify things because we want people to understand what this is because sometimes people can come to church and like, what is this? And it's like, we want to be clear what this is. And here we kind of have like a vision statement on our website, but this is something we want to do as best we can live by. And we'll throw it up here. I'll say it briefly. It's that we are a community following Jesus, seeking the glory of God, the good of the people, and the renewal of South Florida. And let's just like, listen, to that we are a community. That's what we want to be. We want to be a community of people that are like-minded on the same mission, on the same vision. The idea is division. It means two visions. We want to be focused on the vision of God, which is ushering in God's glory, seeking the glory of God. But even before that, we're a community following Jesus. Not me, not this, anyone else. We're following Jesus. We're seeking Jesus together. That's what we want to do. We want to seek Jesus together, following Jesus, seeking the glory of God. Why, that's why we're created, the good of the people. How can we say we love God and not give or, or, or meet our brother's needs and then also the renewal of South Florida. The idea is this, that one day Jesus will rule and reign and we want to try to usher that in. We want people to hear about him and know him and walk with him. And we believe that God makes all things new. He made my life new. He made your life new. We pray that he made your life new. And we go, we want people to know this and hear this. And so we're trying to be really clear because again, we can't just kind of take our short time on earth and our life and be like, let's just have church and I'll juggle a lot. I'm like, yeah, hey, blow fire. Hey, <laughs> you guys like this? Like it can't be that. It can't be that. It has to be so much more. It has to be Jesus Christ and been crucified and resurrected and glorified. It has to be that. There's not power in my words. There's power in his word. That's why we're studying it. That's why we'll go through books of the Bible. That's why we're studying Mark in January because there's something about talking about Jesus. Amen? There's something about focusing on Jesus. And so when I say this, and I'll, I'll go over these every week so you kind of know, every value has something called like three plumb lines. Now, not to like overcomplicate that, but here's what that simply means in our, in our mind. A plumb line is a line with an anchor at the end of it to find true vertical, right? So every, in a sense, we want to find true vertical. How do we, we say we elevate Jesus, but how, how, how? Simply, and I'll throw these up here. First of all, we are just a house of worship. We are a house of worship. We want to turn this place, we want to turn our gatherings together in the name just to a place of worship where we remember Jesus, talk about Jesus, celebrate Jesus through communion, through baptism. We want to be a house of worship. We're just focused on Jesus. We want to worship him in spirit and in truth. So that's how, in a sense, we elevate Jesus, to make this a place where it's focused primarily on him. Next, if you'll see the next one, we seek the Holy Spirit's empowering. We, seek the, we, we do believe that God is still active and moving. I don't think I'd be up here if it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit. Like I can't do this on my, we can't do these things. We desperately believe in the gifts of the Spirit and need the gifts of the Spirit to accomplish God's mission on earth. That my creativity and our flesh by no means will get this job done. And so we're going to call upon the Lord, fast, pray, seek to We're going to have a prayer meeting soon at our house and say, come on, we'll be really tight. But we're going to try to do that. And th- lastly of this, we, we aim to steward God's church faithfully. We think the best way to honor and elevate Jesus is to go, God, whatever you've given us, let us use it well. Like, let us, let us be wise with it. You know, I love this idea of a steward because a steward is an owner of someone else's account. You know, there are many people here, who I look on and go, you guys are owners of this ministry. You help make this happen. You own it. You love it. And thank you for that. You own it. But ultimately, our hands are not closed. Our hands are open. Saying, God, you place this in my hand. You can take this out of my hand. But we want to steward. Whatever you give me, God, I want to use it and use it well. And we want to steward your time, your resources, your money, whatever. We want to do that faithfully and well as unto the Lord. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians 4.1, it's required in a steward that one be found Faithful. And our desire is to go, God, let's be faithful. Whatever you give us, small or big, let's be faithful. Because we know if we're faithful to little things, we can be ruled over many things. So let's be faithful with, with, with what's here and now, and that's how we can infer the name of Jesus. By taking five loaves and two fish, and being, wow, thousands were fed today with just a few amount of things. Like That's our desire, is to take those little and multiply it in the name of Jesus, for Jesus. And so, at a point, kind of what we're saying is, we're asking, to, I know you're here, but to be a part. To like not just, not just attend, but be a part of this. And that can mean many things. That can just mean you're part of a community group and you're going to grow in your faith. And maybe you're just going to sit at the feet of Jesus for a while. Do that. It doesn't mean you're necessarily called to serve. It just means you're called to be part of this community. We can say, we welcome that. We want that. Maybe it does mean serving in some ways. Maybe it does mean we're going to do outreaches through our community groups. We've kind of purposed in our heart. We will do outreaches as a, a big, like, you know, our church on a Saturday morning sometimes, but we want to really primarily do it through community groups. Hey, group, go out and you pick an area and you love it consistently and faithfully. Those are some of our, that's just some of our heartbeat and some of our DNA. And so in a sense, we're saying, everyone has a different place in this. Can I say this? We're going to talk about Jesus, focus on Jesus, but we don't have different on-ramps. We know that people might come in here and have different bents or brokenness or frustrations towards the gospel. We hope, I hope that we can communicate in a way where a non-believer can come in and go, but this still makes sense. And then that truth can challenge their heart and point them to Christ. So there will be different on-ramps. And those are just three, in a sense. We have we have more, uh, but the point is, and when we elevate Jesus, here's how we're going to do that. We want to be a house of worship. We want to seek the Holy Spirit, and we want to just steward God's uh, resources well and faithfully. That is our heart to elevate and do this well, to make Jesus' name known, Amen. And my hope now is, let's respond. I never want to do an, an essential teaching and be like, all right, bye, have a good day. Like, how do we respond to that? How do we actually have our hearts be humbled by that? how does it bring us to this place where like, okay, what can we do? And there's some things we're going to talk about. We're, we're going to try to bless, you know, some foster care, care kids with some presents. We're going to try to do little things as best as we can. Like, we want to do those things, but, but even bigger picture, how has God a calling you to be part of this community? How can, we be, how can we actually love and serve each other and say, it's not just about you going, talk to me about me, but how can I talk to you about you? Like, how can I serve and meet your needs? How can I come alongside you? We want to be those who are just not takers, but givers in that sense. So, that's our prayer. I'm going to say this. I'm gonna, we're going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to close with some worship. And we're going to kind of have some last, like, directions that are given. Because um, it's not just announcements. Like, here's how we can do this this week. But I'm going to say this. Why don't you guys just stand with me? I'm going to pray over this time. And we're just going to end with some, some worship to God. Father, thank you so much. Just for your son. That, God, our names are written in heaven because what he has done. Lord, for everyone in this room, for everyone standing, for everyone in kids' ministry right now, God, I ask that we would just sense your call in our life. That we would hear this idea, this main story, this, this big narrative being written. Let us We want to fit in, God. We want to join you on your mission. God, we thank you for your son. We ask that he be magnified by our lives individually and collectively as a group that Jesus, our our focus would be on you. We thank you that in your name, there is power to save and to heal and to redeem, and so we ask that you would do that. So God, as we sing to you now, what we believe about you, God, let it be expressed. Let it be through song, through action, through lifestyle, through generosity, let it just be expressed, God. Let it not just be something that we believe, but let it be belief expressed. And we just ask all this, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen.